super cool. Yeah, just a, a little bit more about myself before I um, dive into the message. Um, I talked a little bit about my wife. I went to UC Riverside. I grew up in uh, Orange County, you guys heard. And uh, I've been serving for the last over nine years now. I just started my 10th year in a Christian missions organization called Decision Point, uh, formerly known as National School Project. And we're all about proclaiming the gospel to the next generation. And fun fact, we've been able to coach some students around the South Bay. Um, I have had the privilege of personally coaching some students at a local middle school, Casimir Middle School. And actually, some of those students go here. So Evelyn Carlson and Christian Kwok have been a part of that uh, Christian Club leadership team. And it's been pretty cool because uh, new students have been able to come and begin to ask questions about Christ and Christianity and show up. In fact, I just found out there was a student who came to an event we had at the end of the year, just this past May, and he came to the event and he came to the Christian Club the next week. And then Christian Club ended because it was the end of the year. And what happened is that um, he actually started attending with his mom, who had never been to church before, uh, a, a solid church, uh, Pacific Crossroads, if you guys know that church. They started going there, and, and he, one of my uh, friends just ran into that student's mom, uh, a friend of theirs, and they said, oh, they've been going every single Sunday, and they're gonna go to the, their youth retreat next month. So I'm like, wow, that's amazing. So really cool things, what God is doing through some, uh, some of you guys here, which is really, really cool and encouraging. Um, all to say, uh, thanks for throwing out some of those questions, David. Um, I hope to get to know you guys a little bit more, and hopefully you guys can get to know me a little bit more as we continue to fellowship together, worship God, learn from God through his word uh, here at Lighthouse Community Church. So yeah, let me pray, and then uh, yeah, we'll get, we'll get started here. Father, we thank you so much for this evening, God. We thank you for bringing us here together, God, and we pray that you would do a work in our hearts through your word, the living word of God. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, God, I pray that you would do an undeniable work in each of our hearts tonight, that it wouldn't just be, oh, we're just going to youth group, God, but that you would, you would speak in the way that every person needs to be ministered to. So God, I just uh, commit myself and and this, uh, this, we just commit this time to you. We just worship you, God, through um, the way we listen or through the way that I preach, God. Would you be glorified? So we just thank you. We give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. So, yeah, we kicked off, David said, a series called, that we've called Big God. And it's looking at different characteristics of God, different attributes of God. And Pastor David started off by focusing on the holiness of God from Isaiah chapter 6. And fun fact, without even knowing, because um, I wasn't able to attend that week at the beginning of this month when he preached that sermon, uh, God led me to Isaiah chapter 46. And so we'll be looking at Isaiah chapter 46. And in that chapter, tonight, we're going to really focus on this question. Where do you look for ultimate security and salvation, especially when there is so much change going on in this world and in your life. Now, if you just take a step back and think about it a little bit, right? There's just change all around us, right? Change in the weather, like change in creation. You guys have literally felt that change in the last couple of days, the last couple of weeks. It's been getting hotter, right? To changes in circumstances, to changing of grades, to changing of schools, to changing of friends, 
to maybe some of you have changed literal physical locations. If some of you guys have moved into the South Bay and it maybe into this area, into this church, welcome. Or some of you know that you're ready and your family's getting ready to move out of the city, maybe out of the state, maybe, maybe even out of the country. There's also physical changes that you're experiencing, right? Growth spurts, right? Some of you are getting taller. Some of you are, your voices are getting a little bit deeper, right? Maybe some of you guys are experiencing a little bit of facial hair, right? There on your, on your chinny chin chin. There's also financial changes, right? Maybe you guys hear about your parents who just lament the prices, the gas prices right now, right? And just the inflation and all this stuff, right? And so what that means maybe is changes in your family's budget. Maybe your, your family's budget is taking an impact and taking a hit. Maybe your brother or sister is getting ready to leave to go to college. And so there's going to be a change in your home. That family dynamic, you're going to feel a difference as there's one less person under the roof, one less person at the table. Even here at Lighthouse, a change in pastors, maybe a change in small group leaders. But you know what? Not all change is bad. Right? Sometimes change can be really exciting, right? Uh, new and fresh things that you're looking forward to, new experiences, new friends, new food, new places, new things to look forward to. But on the flip side, change can also be exhausting, right? Things you're not looking forward to. I'm sure you guys could, if I just said shout it out, you guys would just, sh- you, you, you guys know what those are, things that you're not looking forward to, which brings me back to the main question I want to ask you tonight is that in a world with constant change, for better or for worse, where do you look for ultimate security and salvation? Open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 46, if you haven't already, where God's word will tell us where not to look and also where to look for true and lasting security and salvation in an ever-changing world. Let's go ahead and read the entire chapter, it's, don't worry, it's only 13 verses. Isaiah chapter 46, if you're reading out of, an, out of an ESV Bible, it's on page 607. Verse one, bell bows down, Nebo stoops, their idols are on beasts and livestock. These things you carry are born as burdens on weary beasts. They stoop, they bow down together. They cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, even to your old age, I am he. And to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and will save. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a god. Then they fall down in worship. They lift it to their shoulders. They carry it. They set it in its place and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind. You transgressors, remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. Listen to me. You stubborn of heart, 
You who are far from righteousness, I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off and my salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. Now we're gonna go back and start and look at verse one, but now something that is important to know about the entire book of Isaiah, almost 70 chapters, is that the first 39 chapters are written against the backdrop of Isaiah's own time. So he's writing in his own time, during his lifetime, about the things happening in his life. But then when you get to chapter 40, through chapter 55, and we're in chapter 46, the assumed audience he's speaking to and writing to are the Jews, is Israel, in Babylon, long after Isaiah's lifetime. That's crazy. The crazy thing you have to understand here is that the things we read in Isaiah 46 were prophesied by Isaiah about 200 years before they, were even, before they even happened, which the point I'm sharing that with you is so you know the context and what's happening, but this displays God's unique ability to predict the future specifically through his servant, the prophet Isaiah. Really amazing thing here that we see in the scriptures So let's go back to verse one and verse two, and then we'll look at verse five through seven first, where we we learn where not to look for our security and salvation. If you're taking notes, which leads me to the first point, and you can write this on your handout, look not for security and salvation from this fading world. You can fill in the blank there, from this fading world. Let's go back and read verses one and two. Bell bows down, Nebo stoops, Their idols are on beasts and livestock. These things you carry are born as burdens on weary beasts. They stoop, they bow down together. They cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. Let's stop right here. The picture here that we see that the the scriptures are painting for us is a picture of the chief Babylonian gods, Bel and Nebo, being carted and carried forward, not in victory, but being taken away in defeat and captivity. It's not a picture of power in this world and from its gods, but a picture of powerlessness. Now, why in the world would the chapter start like this? Well, during this time, when this time actually happened in Israel's history, the Jews who were in exile felt discouraged, right? They would feel defeated because of their circumstances. They're in exile. And the exile is causing Israel to lose faith in God to doubt in the very character of God. I remember my wife vividly telling me the story about when she was in middle school and her mom forgot to pick her up. And I've actually had that. I was like, oh yeah, that actually happened to me one time when I was in middle school too. How many of you guys have had that happen to you before? (laughs) Okay, so you understand. I asked her, how did that make you feel? And she said, forgotten. And she said, uncared for. Wow, that's, that's pretty big. She said she, it actually, I'm like, she, she said it actually caused her a lot of anxiety so that whenever she, later she got a phone, I guess. I don't know if it was in high school. She said, I would just, right after I got out of school, I would just text my mom, are you coming? Are you coming? Are you coming, right? And, and even me, like I remember doubting, like I felt so, my heart just sinking when my mom, like, where is she? Did she forget about me, right? I could, I could really empathize with what my wife was saying. I was like, I felt that too. I remember that. And I think that, For us, perhaps the same thing happens in our relationship, in our understanding with God. And it sounds something like this in the midst of change in your life, in the midst of things happening in your life. And we ask, God, where are you? 
God, do you even care about me? And so maybe in that time of doubt, you're tempted. Tempted not to look to God and to seek after God, but to look elsewhere, to other people, to things, to this world. The Jews were in exile, and when they were tempted, perhaps to make the Babylonian gods bigger than they actually were. They were tempted to look to this world for answers and for security because it looked and seemed like that God had forsaken them. God had abandoned them, but the truth is it wasn't actually God who had forsaken and abandoned Israel. It was actually Israel who had forsaken and abandoned God. I won't get into all the the background history, but they had forgotten God, forsaken God by attempting to find their security from this world rather than God. I guess some background, I could do it real quick, is just that they were looking to other nations. They were looking to other people for protection and provision rather than God. So God brought exile upon them as a form of judgment against their sin and against their idolatry. And so what God does is he quickly contends, he quickly combats their current doubts about who he is by shedding light, shining a a flashlight and just exposing this false world and the small and weak nature of its gods. Jump over to verse five with me through verse seven. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me? This is God speaking, that we may be alike. Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a god. Then they fall down in worship. They lift it to their shoulders. They carry it. They set it in its place and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. And if one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. God poses a rhetorical question saying, is there anything in all the world that can compare with me? And then in verses six and seven, a God of this world is put into the boxing ring, so to to speak, with the one weighing in at infinity pounds, right? With a perfect record for all eternity, the undefeated, undefeated, undisputed, reigning king of kings, almighty God. There's no match. There's no contest. There's no comparison. Living God, lifeless idols. The God who hears and responds. The deaf and unresponsive gods of this world. God who upholds the whole universe and every single star and knows the number of hairs on your head. And the idols who need to be lifted and carried and put on the shelf. Today, you can make an idol or God out of about anything. I'm not saying this, this is, a, this is a, a sure way to, to discern that, but one way is just think about some of the things that, or people that you give your all to, right? Like what takes most of your time? What takes most of your energy, effort, resources? What consumes you? What consumes your thoughts, your time? Maybe for some of you here, it's academic, seeking academic success or seeking some kind of worldly success For others, it's seeking some kind of worldly recognition. Maybe some of you, I know you're young, but maybe you do have that desire to like just accumulate massive amounts of wealth for yourself. For others, maybe it's in the arts, 
or maybe in the performing arts. For others, it's, I mean, you fill in the blanks. But when you're looking for true peace, security, salvation for your soul, none of these things are going to stand a chance in the ring with Almighty God. None of them. Because there's no match. There's no contest. There's no comparison. In fact, the entire book of Isaiah is all about our God who is high and lifted up. God who is at the center of all reality. God who does not change in his affections and care for you ever. God who is our true security, firm foundation, salvation, just like we sang, God. When I was in middle school, when I was in high school, I was not, I was certainly not looking to God for my security, for my salvation. In fact, I didn't even realize I needed salvation until by the grace of God and through his word and the power of the Holy Spirit in my life and all these things that God was doing in my life, it wasn't until I realized how broken and sinful that I was that I needed salvation. Those of you who know me or maybe you've heard a little bit about my story, I lost my mom to breast cancer when I was in eighth grade. She was diagnosed when I was four, uh, four years old. She battled for 10 years and literally the month of May, like right before I was gonna finish eighth grade, she passed away. And I just, for me, I just went that path of the parties and substance and stuff, stuff I never thought I would do. I just, I don't know, I just got sucked in that, into the way of the world in that path. And even by the age of 16, I was a junior in high school. I got arrested by an undercover cop. It was a sting. These guys come out of this corner, this corner, like it was nuts. And I was like, whoa. And I could share the whole story another time. But I got arrested for, for possession of marijuana that they found in my car. I got arrested for a, uh, alcohol, possession of alcohol and a fake ID that I used to buy the alcohol right out in front of that liquor store. I was looking to this world in such a way to never find what I could only truly find in God. True peace, true hope, true security and salvation for my sinful soul. So, so let me ask you, what are you searching for? What are you reaching out for in this world? Who or what are you reaching out to in this world to find some kind of or form of security, deliverance, or salvation? My wife and I, we, we moved to Torrance just last year. Uh, God opened up a, a home for us. Wow, what a provision. Praise God. And the thing that we've noticed consistently living in Torrance, literally 10 minutes down that way, is the daily breeze. And you guys who are from the South Bay know about the daily breeze. In fact, the South Bay's newspaper is called the what? The Daily Breeze. If you didn't know it, it's called The Daily Breeze, okay? It's called The Daily Breeze. And it's called The Daily Breeze. I actually read a book on the city of Torrance a couple years ago. And before there was all the houses and Delamo Mall and all this stuff, it was just like oil rigs and some farming and dirt. <laughs> but there was also The Daily Breeze was still here. <laughs> And people talked about, they didn't like Torrance. People love Torrance down the food and beach, all this stuff, but people didn't like it because of the daily breeze. It would kick up all that dirt and it would get everywhere. People just didn't like that, right? And so the daily breeze, right, it blows down our street every day. It blows down, it literally blows through our house. And in the South Bay, for you locals, right, the same breeze blows through your street. It blows through your home. 
And the, and the wind that you hear and the wind that you often feel here in the South Bay perhaps sounds something like this. Nothing less than academic, academic excellence will do. Produce, produce, produce. Perform, perform, perform. Work hard to gain people's approval and acceptance. That's the way. Work hard. Be at the top of your class. Be at the top of your sport. But I wonder that if you stripped all of those things away, that really deep down inside, maybe the deeper cry of your heart is that you just want to be long, that you just want to be known, that you just want to be loved. However, in the South Bay, you're going to have to work for it. You're going to have to compete for it. You're going to need to excel. You're going to have to pack your schedule and not waste a minute. You're going to have to separate yourself from the pack and be unique, be different so that you can stand out. So what are you doing? Get to work. Study harder. Go further. Go farther. Push the limits. Be even more disciplined than you already are. Now, there are some of you who are sitting here thinking, Rich, I wish I had a little bit more of that drive. <laughs> I wish I had a little bit more of that go-getter spirit and attitude. I feel like for me, it's hard to get going. I don't know about this daily breeze that you're talking about. I wish I felt it. I wish I heard it every day because I don't feel it. I don't hear it. Maybe I'm just too lazy. Maybe I'm too lethargic. But Rich, I'll tell you, if I'm honest, it's discouraging because it just seems like all the people around me are shakers and movers here in the South Bay. And one day, maybe even in society. And I feel like I'm falling behind. And I know I need to work harder. And I know I need to try harder. Whether you're sitting here and you know you have that incredible work ethic and capacity to get stuff done and go far and fast, or you're sitting here and you don't think you do, you think you're falling behind, don't let this world move you in the direction and down its false paths and false ways because your work, your efforts, will not ultimately bring the security and salvation that your soul truly needs. Now, does this mean that hard work and a good work ethic are bad? No, they're incredibly helpful and valuable. I'm not saying that, but it's just they can't save you. They can't save you. They can't ultimately give you or bring you what only God could give you and bring to you himself. In fact, the scriptures are telling you and telling me and telling us a different story, a different narrative, a different way. And the Holy Spirit of God blows wind into your cells to move you into the direction of truth. And the truth of God's word is saying something like this, like it is no use to turn this world and things of this world, to look to this world and to, think, to look to the things of this world for your security and salvation. It lacks what you truly need. This world will wear you out. This world will tire you out. This world will spit you out and send you out at a breakneck speed until you look just like Bell and Nebo, powerless, defeated, stooped down, exhausted, and tired. Tired to keep moving your academics forward. Tired to keep producing and performing. Tired to keep up a certain image among a certain group of people, your friends, maybe on your socials, and maybe even in your family. 
tired of keeping up, maybe perhaps with one of your siblings or siblings who have just seemed to excel in every single area of their life to this point in their life. Tired of figuring out how you're going to pick yourself up again tomorrow and carry on. Which brings me back to the main question I've been asking you tonight to consider is where can you look for true security and salvation in this fading world? Point number two, look to God who is bigger and better in his care for you. Look to God who is bigger and better in his care for you. Let's go back to verse three and see what God says. Verses three and four. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel. You, have been, you who, uh, who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, even to your old age, I am he, and to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made, and I will bear, I will carry, and will save. Let's stop right there. God proclaims a very powerful and personal promise to the remnant of Israel there in Babylon. Despite their sin and rebellion and disobedience that led them to exile in the first place, God is essentially saying, I see you and I've seen you. And I have had you in my hands this whole time. And I've got you going forward. And I'll carry you into the future. In fact, five to six times in just two verses, God says, I. I will sustain you from your youth to your old age, to your gray hairs. I have made you. I will bear. I will carry you. I will save. God's care for God's people will never end. So you can rest assured because it is 100% guaranteed. So you can know that without a shadow of a doubt, that God's care and love for you will always be available to you. The good news is that God is the one who sustains and carries you through life. God is going to be the one who's going to carry you through this summer. He's going to be the one who carries you through middle school, carries you through high school. For those who graduated high school and going to college, he's going to be one who carries you through college and for your whole life into your gray hairs. The truth is, is that God's care for you is bigger and better than anything because his care for you will never end. God's care for you is there for you. God's care for you is there for you. It's true. God cares for you to provide forgiveness of sins. 1 John 1, 9. God cares for you to make you a child of God. John chapter 1, verse 12. God cares for you to give you his very great and precious promises, 2 Peter 1.4. God cares for you by working all things out for your good according to his purposes, Romans 8.28. God cares for you through sustaining your life and giving you every single breath. God cares for you to provide life beyond the grave, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. God cares for you through this church and through those who pray for you, through those who reach out to you and engage you. God cares for you and me in more ways than you or I could ever fully know. God cares for you as the good shepherd of your soul. God cares for you through the encouragement and edification that we, through, we have through the word of God. In fact, one verse that just spoke to me yesterday, 
It's one of my memory verses. I have a new one that pops up in one of these memory verse apps that I have. And it totally spoke to me because it totally relates to this sermon. It comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. This is what Paul writes. He says, For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, meaning they're passing and fading away. But the things that are unseen are eternal. God's word is saying, look not to this world, but look to God who is bigger and better in his care for you. Which brings me back again to the main question one last time tonight. Where can you look for true and lasting security and salvation in this fading world? Look to God who is bigger and better in his plans for you. The blank there is plans for you and his plans for you. Jump over to verse 8, Isaiah chapter 46. Verse 8 through 11, where God says this. He says, remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. Let's stop right there. God calls Israel to remember and stand firm in the truth. The truth in that just as he has saved them in the past, he will save them again. And he also addresses them. You might, might have caught that word there. He addresses them as transgressors. Transgressors meaning you who are not just pushing the limits and boundaries, but often crossing them crossing over into forbidden territory, whether that's in your thoughts, into physical or digital spaces, sinful patterns and habits, you who do wrong, you who rebel, you who are prone to wander, disbelief, doubt, and fear, remember, remember, and then recall in verse eight. And then in verse nine, again, he says, remember. Meaning, don't just hear what I'm about to say, really take what you hear deeper into your heart. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. In fact, remember the former things of old. The scriptures are full of God's saving acts from of old, such as when God saved Noah and his family from the flood through the ark, or when God delivered the Hebrews from slavery in Egypt through the plagues and through the parting of the Red Sea. Or when God saved Israel from the hand of the Assyrians just 11 chapters before in Isaiah chapter 37 when the angel of the Lord went through the Assyrian camp and slayed 185,000 Assyrians who were invading and because they just got whooped, now they're retreating. For me, getting arrested by an undercover cop in high school was actually part of God's bigger and better plan for my life. How? Looking back, at least as far as I know, none of those people I was hanging out with in middle school or high school got arrested like me. And it just seems like their, their lives are continuing to go in that path that it, they were just, we we're all living. Look, nothing's changed. That doesn't mean go get arrested because your life will get better. Um, though I hope it does if you do. But I hope you don't get arrested. But for me, God was using that arrest 
to slow me down, to pump the brakes on my life. God used the arrest to slow me down so that I could start reflecting over my life. Like, what is my purpose? Why am I here? What is the meaning of life? Like, I started asking myself these questions my senior year of high school. What kind of future do I have now that this, ha- this has happened? Will I have a future? Who am I? And then I started asking other questions like, who really is God? I grew up going to these Korean churches, but it was always in one ear and out the other. So who really is Jesus? Who really is God? What is this Christianity thing? I didn't know it at that time. But looking back, God was working out his bigger and better plan for my life. He was ultimately calling me to find my ultimate security and salvation in him and him alone. And for Israel, God was working out his bigger and better plan for them even while they were in exile. And and today, some of you, maybe many of you, need to be reminded that God has a bigger and better plan for you. Maybe in your life and in this season right now, you've bumped up against some real disappointment, some difficult circumstances, some real trials, some real hardships. Maybe to you, God's plan doesn't look the way you wanted it to. It looks way different from what you hoped it would look like. Maybe you didn't get into the college that you hoped for, for those who graduated. Or maybe you didn't make the team. Or maybe your best friend has moved away or hasn't come back to church. Or maybe your best friend is moving away. Or maybe summer hasn't panned out the way you hoped it would. Whatever it is, do you believe that God has a bigger and better plan for you? God had a bigger and better plan for exiled Israel, but it was difficult for them to believe. In fact, in verse 11, we see a prophecy of Cyrus, king of Persia, being sent to fulfill God's plan for Israel. You can see, read more about that before in Isaiah 44, verses 26 and 28. But God is using this imagery in this verse of a bird being called from the east to do his will, specifically to end the exile and to allow the Jews to go back home. For Israel, history would actually prove what God had planned. History proved that Persia did conquer Babylon and that it was Cyrus, king of Persia, who actually sent out a decree to send all the Jews back home. God had planned it, and he did it. A couple years ago, I went to the Getty out in, where is it, Malibu? There's the other Getty. There's another Getty. It has a lot of Roman statues at that one. And they had a special exhibit, and they had this ancient cylinder, and it was, it's actually called the Cyrus Cylinder. And on it has ancient script on there, and it has the decree that, the exiled people can go back home. Like, this actually happened. This is history, right? This actually happened. Even people who aren't even believers will recognize the validity of that artifact and the connection it has with the Holy Bible. In fact, the exhibit had scriptures on the wall there. It was amazing to see. What God had planned, God fulfilled, God did it, God was and is and always will be who he says he is. He will always do what he says he will do and fulfill all his bigger and better purposes for your life, in your life, and in this world, no matter what, for your good and for his glory. And God's bigger and better plans and purposes are to save you and to restore you back into relationship with himself, to draw you near, to draw you close. 
to have your heart, to have your trust, just as we worship and sing. Just as we see it was God's purposes to save the Jews from exile, right? To restore them back home. Let's read our last two verses here. God says in verse 12 and 13, listen to me, you stubborn of heart. You who are far from righteousness, I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off and my salvation will not delay. I put salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. God was going to deliver his people and put his glory on display by restoring the Jews back home to Zion. That's another way to say Israel or Jerusalem. While God sent the bird of prey, who was the king of Persia, to send the Jews back home, fast forward 600 years later to the beginning of the first century where God would not send the bird of prey, but the innocent lamb, the son of God, to walk the shores of Galilee, to live an obedient and faithful life that we have failed to live and to die the death that we have all deserved upon that cross so that we could be forgiven, so that you could be made clean and accepted before a holy and righteous God, set free to follow God and to faithfully worship and love him and to love others. The truth is God draws near to the brokenhearted, to those who are in distress, to those who are sinful, to those who feel shattered, tired, stubborn, slow to listen and obey God's commandments, and those who are far from righteousness, the truth is, is that Jesus stoops down like Bel and Nebo, but not in humiliating defeat, but in humble dependency upon the Father. Jesus stooped down from heaven to earth and was fully obedient to the Father, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. And on that cross, he would suffer and die for my sins and your sins. And he was able to endure the pain of being nailed upon that cross and his blood being poured out. He was able to endure the shame and the pain associated with the cross. How? Because Jesus was looking to the Father's bigger and better plan for him, but he was also looking to his bigger and better plan for you. Because he knew this was the way for you to be forgiven. He knew that this was the way for you to have eternal security and salvation. It was only through Jesus' death and resurrection. The good news is that you don't have to go and make yourself righteous. You don't have to go and muster up some kind of righteousness, righteousness of your own. The good news is that you can rest in the finished work of God that was accomplished through Jesus. God has brought his righteousness near you through Jesus. God has brought peace, life, and hope to you through Jesus. In fact, that's what the Bible is all about. God brings his righteousness near to sinners and sufferers through Jesus, the righteous one. And that's what many chapters in Isaiah are pointing us to, and looking, pointing us to look forward to the coming Messiah who is Jesus Christ and his work on our behalf. In fact, fast forward, and we'll end real soon right here. Fast forward to Isaiah chapter 53, and you can turn there if you want, or you can just listen. But Isaiah chapter 53, starting in verses four through six, and then verse 11, just a few verses. Isaiah 53, verse four, talking about Jesus, a prophecy. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. 
Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. We all, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 11, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. It's so easy to get lost. It's so easy to get discouraged, distracted, anxious, overwhelmed, overcome by the chaos, the violence, the confusion, and the change that's ravaging this world and perhaps pressing in on your life. But the truth is, God's care for you and his, be- his plans for you are better for you than anything this world could ever offer you. If you are a child of God, you know this security and salvation from God is good and true. You know it. You've tasted and you've seen. And if you're visiting today or you haven't been back for a while or you're unsure about your soul's ultimate security, in salvation and where that's found, I hope you know that God's righteousness is not far from you. In fact, it's near and available to you through faith in Jesus Christ, turning from your own ways and putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Not looking to this world, but putting your faith in Christ. Tonight, some of you need to know that God is the one who made you and calls out to you, and he who made you and calls out to you will not stop. He won't get tired. He won't give up on you. Even maybe when you feel like you've given up on you and your circumstances and the people around you speak unfavorably, God pursues you, pleads with you, and God can provide for you. So may you find as you look to God who is bigger and better in his care for you and his plans for you that your doubts and your unbelief change by God's grace to abiding trust and rest no matter your circumstances, no matter whatever the season you've been in or are in. May God's spirit remind you that when this world fails you and leaves you empty, you have a bigger and better God who will never leave you or forsake you ever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, God, for your word. Thank you for the truth and encouragement of your word. Thank you for the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I just pray again, Lord, the ways that you have spoken, the ways that you have ministered, the ways that you have convicted. Father, I pray for just soft hearts. I pray that you would bless each one who's come tonight, that you would encourage them, Father, and continue ministering to them as they head into small groups, God. I pray you bless that discussion and that everyone who leaves tonight, this Friday, would be looking to you and find and know that there's security and salvation is in you. We just give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.